Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is load building and optimization with my friend Tom Moore. Tom is the founder and CEO of Provision AI, a technology that automatically gets the right products on the right number of trucks at the right time to increase service levels and maximize network efficiency. We all know empty miles are bad, but half empty miles are bad too. Tom and his team will help you fill your trucks, which will reduce your costs, reduce your greenhouse gases, and improve your service levels. In 2023, Provision AI eliminated 88,000 truckloads for their customers. A massive accomplishment. To learn more, check out my conversation with Tom Moore. How's it going, Tom Moore? It's going great. So, Tom, please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from today. I'm Tom Moore. I'm the CEO of Provision AI. I'm calling to you from Nashville area in Tennessee, uh, distribution capital of the United States. Very nice. Very nice. You were recommended by, I think, two separate people were on my podcast. I think maybe John Larkin and Brad Forrester. I think I'm assuming you know both of them. <laughs> yes, and appreciate them doing that. We'll catch up on and, and I'm just having difficulty placing when I last met John Larkin. It must have been some time ago. Yep. So anyway, Tom, please introduce yourself. You mentioned, let me just, we'll, we'll scratch this. So what do you guys do over at Provision AI? Simply put, we solve tough business problems that large shippers have. And, and essentially that means a problem that hasn't been solved well or hasn't been solved at all before and, and one that has significant value to them, okay? And most of them revolve around optimization and mathematics. So, for example, we the problem that people came to us initially with is how do we pick cases and build pallets in a warehouse in a way that's most effective. Uh, today, we just say, here's, here's a pick list, go out, Mr. Picker, and, and grab the boxes and put them on a pallet, and then let the loader work out how to put them on the truck. Not a particularly efficient way of doing it, but we, we developed technology back in 1992 for a company called Procter & Gamble to do case picking and truck loading, and they kept that their, their own secret for many years. Once we recognized that truck loading and case picking was the end of the line, we said, well, how do we get ahead of this and, and work out what's the right thing to put on the truck so we maximize the utilization of the vehicle? We'll make it way out or cube out and make it axle legal and damage free. And so we developed technology that then layered on top of our warehouse technology to say, okay, let's design the load that's most effective. Yep. And by the way, I think, you know, when you hear load building and optimization, it's like, oh gosh, so boring, so unsexy when there's, what about AI? What about all these other cool things? But we have, we all know we hate empty miles. We all say, oh, that truck driver is driving empty, right? That's the ultimate sin in our business. But we seem to be okay with half empty trucks driving around and half empty trucks are not 
as bad as completely empty, but it's getting there. And we do a ton of that. And part of the reason is you mentioned the whole load building. And I've experienced this where I've been at a plant where you look, we have different size pallets and all is all separate. What I'm thinking about is building products where it was a job and no two jobs are the same. And I remember walking around looking at the guys who were supposed to be doing this and they were looking for guidance from all of us consultants walking around in circles. And it felt ridiculous because I was like, you need to fill this pallet up first. And then as soon as you say something simple, they go, yeah, but what about? And, and it's gone. It's not something that I think you can do without a tool. It's an incredibly complex mathematical problem because it's an incredibly complex business problem. And part of the complexity of, for example, case picking is there's no set standard that everybody says, hey, you got to do it this way. Yes, there are some basics like you don't want to put the bricks on top of the eggs. Okay, that's obvious. You want to build a pallet that's a certain height, maybe 50 inches so you can double stack it. You want to have a flat top on it so you can put something on top of it. All these, these standard things. But when it comes down to how much Christmas treeing, which is how much do we allow it to go out of the top, the layers get bigger as you get, as the, how much of that will we allow? All, all these things. And, and we throw people in to do that job who have minimal training, to say the least. And we ask them to do it quickly because the truck's here. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, we're not going to give you a whole bunch of guidance because, hey, we, we don't have a standard. We find the first shift supervisor knows this is the way to do it. And the second shift supervisor says, no, that's the way to do it. And shifting between shifts makes a, 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 oh, a yeah. significant challenge for everybody. So we just do stuff. Yeah. Okay? We're going to come back to this. But all I, I'm just as we're talking about, all I think about is being at a terminal where there's you have the cones, little cones that you put on those cardboard cones so, so you don't put something heavy on top of this and flatten cones. And then I remember just so many, I, we'll, we'll get into, there's probably, I could, my own experience is dozens of things that have gone wrong with loads. And we'll, we were going to talk about the scope three admissions too, because that is maybe the most important thing that we, we can do right now for the environment Forget the electric vehicles and all that. That's a that's still a little bit of a risky. This is not risky. This is easy. It saves you money and saves the environment. This is really easy. We see, obviously, a lot of customers. We've got some big clients, and we're shipping thousands of loads a year and designing, building thousands of loads a year. In fact, last year, we took 88,000 loads off the road. That's a great accomplishment, and that's great for Scope 3, and it's great for the companies because they just didn't pay for that freight. They moved the same amount of stuff, but they paid a lot less for it. Those are really good things. We've also done studies on way-in-motion scale data. So if you think about trucks driving down the road at 60 miles an hour, there are, in some places, scales that are actually built into the road surface. They'll say, this truck is a... Five axle truck and it weighs 82,000 pounds, overweight, okay? Or this truck is 47,000 pounds. We took some of the heaviest weighted ones and said, how full are they? And the answer was they were basically 91, 92% of all the trucks that were going across these way in motion scales, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of them, um, you could put 
an additional pallet or two or three or four on the truck. And you go, this is just an amazing opportunity, right? We as a country are wasting a lot of our capacity that's going down the road. Yep. So we'll come back to all that. Um, but first, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Provision AI. And yeah, I noticed that that accent. Is that a, that's not a Tennessee accent? It's not a Tennessee accent. You, and I'm a uh, New Zealander, born and raised. I uh, went through university in New Zealand and got a, a bachelor's in mathematics. And New Zealand degrees are very much more focused. I did mathematics for my bachelor's and virtually nothing else. And did a master's in operations research, although the official name I have is a master's of commerce. Sounds quite impressive, doesn't it? So basically, we after college, I went on to come to the United States to get my overseas experience, it's called. Spend time in, in another country and started working in northeast of the country in headquarters for a company called American Can. Good old line manufacturing company at the time doesn't exist anymore, but got my 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 real interest in supply chain logistics there, working in basic manufacturing. I, I was very fortunate at a very young age. I, I was running a plant planning and scheduling operation, buying materials. I had a little sales office that worked for me. I, I ran a truck fleet. I ran a couple warehouses. So I learned a lot of things really quickly. I also had the, the great pleasure of installing one of the early ERP systems to run the, the basics of inventory control and, and, and manufacturing. And, and, and so I have a lot of marks on my back. Very useful background, I can tell you. It's great to be able to say, not only can you do this, but I have done this, Okay. People say, oh, you can't load a truck to 50,000 pounds. I ran trucks every day at 50,000 pounds. We're hauling steel, we'd be hauling 50,000 pounds. And people go, surely that wasn't legal. And of course it was legal. We went over scales all the time and we made sure it was legal. It's one thing to, to have, I'll call it the consultant view. The other one is to have the practical view where you've done it, you can do it. And you've got that opportunity to prove it out from experience. Yes, for sure, for sure. So where'd you go after American Can? Give us the rest of your background before you start. Um, after American Can, I went to a consulting company, um, a company called Cleveland Consulting, another company that doesn't exist anymore, but that was the boutique consulting supply chain. It was A.T. Carney and Cleveland Consulting, and a great group of people at Cleveland Consulting really had an exciting exciting time working with very bright and, and smart people. And, and after that, I actually set up my own consulting company. And one of our first clients was Procter & Gamble, who asked if, hey, could, could we do something about this case picking? Uh, so I got, I got into the software business, I'll call it almost by accident. We, they, they, yeah, sound, Sounds like a problem we've solved in, in operations research with some other things. Let me call some of my friends in New Zealand and see if we can put together something that'll work for you. Lo and behold, we did, and it did. Nice, nice. So, when did you start Pro, uh, Provision AI? Was that the next gig? Yeah, Provision AI is it was was actually a, a more recent thing. As I mentioned to you before, uh, we've worked on this whole concept of load optimization and. I was talking to a transportation manager. I hope he doesn't mind if I mention his name. His name was Jay Rich. Jay Rich the Third. 
And Jay is at, was at Rich Products. He's now subsequently retired. But he said, it's great. You can optimize trucks, but they're asking me to ship 20 trucks on one day and three on the next. He says, I don't know how to do that in a cost-effective <laughs> way. And he says, it screws up my transportation costs. It's, it hurts the place that ships it, and it hurts the place that receives it. How do we stop doing that? And it was, again, that was one of those things you go, hmm, this makes a lot of sense. It's a problem that, that no one else seems to have solved because we've got this gulf between here's the planning group out here making all their wonderful plans, and here's all the folks in operations, and there's a disconnect here. Right. How do we make the plans meet what can be done from an execution perspective? So again, got together with a bunch of my friends and a whole bunch of PhDs who actually knew how to be logisticians, got in a room and we worked it out and spent a few years developing a, a very successful thing we call level load. And level load's goal is to take the plan apply all the constraints on, on it and, and work out over the next 30 days or so what's the right flow. So when we see a big quarter end or year end or month end uh, bulge, how do we pull some things forward and push some things back so make sure we manage our inventory appropriately, keep our service levels high and reduce those huge blips yeah, And I can tell you it's been an incredibly successful journey. Uh, very, very good. It's enabled us to do three things. One is obviously leveling. That's that smoothing, which has cut transportation costs in two ways. Number one, it's cut the transportation costs because we don't have to go deep into our routing guide. You don't have to move from, for example, from intermodal to truck on a lane because we just can't get enough intermodal equipment. We're trying to maintain inside that that level of intermodal. Second is when we go back to our carriers price in this fluctuation, carriers get a bid package from company X and company X says, we need 250 trucks this year. Okay, that's one truck a day. Okay, good. We, we, we plan on one truck a day, except they get 40 trucks one day and zero for the next 39 right. days. Exactly. And, and, and they build that flexible, that, that cost in because it's a real cost for them to manage that fluctuation. So if we can reduce that fluctuation down to a much flatter level, big transportation cost. Yep, absolutely. So I got to ask you a question. You came over here for your overseas experience. It's been 30 some years. When are you going back? <laughs> my, my, my mother was a New Yorker. My wife is a New Yorker. And my wife and grandchildren are going to be inseparable. And my grandchildren are all here. I am... Unless I'm going to leave my wife of 39 years, which I have no intention of doing because she's a wonderful woman and a great human being, there is no possible way that I'll be moving back to New Zealand. However, I go back for frequent refresher courses on how to speak English. Yes, exactly. So besides friends and family and food, what do you miss most about New Zealand? The great thing about New Zealand is its compactness. Okay, I lived in Christchurch. And in Christchurch, you could be in the mountains skiing in an hour and a half. You could be in the water boating in 45 minutes. And you could be playing golf in 15 minutes, all of which you could do on the same day. 
And, and, and that's the remarkable thing. In some years, for example, if you're into skiing, you can be skiing in January, which is summer in New Zealand, <laughs> and, and skiing basically in shorts and getting a horrible burn. <laughs> I've done that in Aspen before, and Colorado is not for white people like me. I'm too pale for the this the spring skiing. Yeah, yep, there's no, no, there's no blue eyes does not go well. Yep. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to our topic here for a second. So, let's talk about load building and optimization. And, and I'm just going to name some problems that I want you to continue. So, first off, when we're not optimizing, we are we are we have empty trucks or half empty trucks, right? And in addition, those half empty trucks is those half empty trucks. They cost us more money over time, obviously, because we're paying for more trucks. So it's cost more. It also adds to the greenhouse gases that we're all trying to get rid of. So it costs me more money, costs me also the environment. And again, we're being asked the supply chain, the large supply chain companies, you mentioned Procter & Gamble, you mentioned Rich Foods. I guarantee both of them have programs where they're saying, we need you, our logistics providers, to help us reduce our greenhouse gases. They're looking directly at us. So half empty, costs us more money, hurts the environment, pisses our customer off. <laughs> and am I right to say we need more manpower and it, it taxes our, our plants? In warehouses? Yeah, I think you have to understand that, that building full loads is a problem. It's, for, it's actually quite a difficult problem. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I want to make sure managers understand that, that the people who are doing this job today, and a lot of them doing it manually, they have a lot of math that they've got to think about, and, and they you know, consciously can't do it. So they have to use those rules of thumb that you, you, you put together and, and you come up with something and you get to a point and you say, I'm done, good. And, and there are a couple of challenges here. Number one is it's just the complexity of doing it. Number two is we, we've got a lot of tribal knowledge out there, okay? Classic tribal knowledge is you can ship 40,000 pounds on a truck. Well, you can, but you can also ship 42, 44, 46, 48, depending on the truck. And we've got people who set their targets too low. Okay. Second is when we're dealing with customers, if Walmart places an order for you for this and this, guess what? You're going to ship them that and you're not going to ship them anything more. Okay. Because if you ship them more, they're just going to say, thank you very much. You just gave me free product. Right. Yeah. But there's an opportunity here. And some large shippers have done this. Procter and Gamble went on record as saying they've done this as they, they said, hold on, because we have a process in our warehouses that says you and I and everybody else are going to load the truck the same way, <coughs> excuse me, because we've got that process in place, we've got a controlled process, therefore we can go back to our customers and say, to get best price, instead of a truckload being this much, you need to order this much. And so they have driven their customers to improve their truckload or buys, how much they buy, because they've got a process that's under control in their warehouses. Okay, good point. But every company that's got customer-facing DCs and plants that are remote, they can move product from their customer-facing DC to their plant day in, day out. They manage both ends of that process. So they have the opportunity 
to maximize that using optimization tools, one of which we build. So let me ask this. Let's just say I am a store and I ask my DC or one of my suppliers, whatever, to send me this much inventory. I want this much stuff. And you, it's and it's three quarters of a truck. And they say, hey, we could over time save a lot of trucks and a lot of trips, make the environment better and save you some money by giving you more. But wouldn't I just say, yeah, Tom, you gave me more, but now my inventory costs, my carrying costs are higher because I had to buy this. Now, by the way, sometimes that won't matter. Other times they might say, Tom, I don't have room to take on additional inventory. I know you want to send me a full truck, but I only needed half a truck. And clearly you got a price trade-off here, right? Price cost trade-off. And if we say you have no no additional cost for doing that, then there's no trade-off, right? If you tell me to order one case, I'll order one case at a time. And same price as if I order a truckload, I'm going to do that. People do what their economic incentives are. Their buying system will say, what's the minimum order quantity to get best price? I'm going to get to that. And I'm not going to go any higher, which gives them an opportunity, by the way, because about 50% of the freight in the grocery business is managed by the receiver. So the Kroger's, the Walmart's, et cetera, are paying for about 50% of the freight. So if they take their buying and say, hold on, I can get this much more on a truck, then they've got the, that great opportunity to increase their shipment size, reduce their costs, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it seems to me this is one of those areas where it's a little bit unexamined. We haven't really considered the trade-offs. And that's what we're talking about here is trade-offs. And sometimes if the trade-off is favorable, let's do it. But I think in a lot of ways, we get used to sending. We did the best we could. We used those rules of thumb. We used the tribal knowledge. And we only can fill it up about three quarters. After that, we're going to start putting heavy things on the top. And uh, the hell with it, ship. Really well-run companies do a number of different things, okay? Uh, and I, I can't claim that, that that we have exclusive license on this, but when they bid their freight, they say, carrier, what's the rate and what's how much weight can you carry? Okay, that's one. Second is <clears throat> run companies say, I've got this carrier that can haul this much. I'm going to build loads to that level. Other companies, Nestle, when it owned the waters business, now it's Blue Triton, they got on us in a conference and said, we never ship a, a truckload of water that's, not less, that's less than 46,200 pounds. So somebody asked the question, what happens if company X orders 45,000 pounds? So we call them up and say, what do you want to add to that load to make it to 46,000 pounds? So for those who aren't into it day-to-day, what's the most a truck is supposed to carry? The legal limit across the North America is that the total truck trailer can be 80,000 pounds. Okay? And there are a number of truck companies out there that have built lightweight fleets. You know, Companies that have their own lightweight fleet, their trucks may be hauling 51,000 pounds for even 52,000 pounds. Other companies are using intermodal and, and they may be using different trailers and different you know, weights, et cetera. 
The answer is there is no one number that you can say, this is our number. And here's where tribal knowledge gets in the way. People say, this is our number. Well, we suggest you go out and weigh trucks, right? Now, we have a software solution, but the software solution uses data. And you need to give us good data. And that good data is, what happens when you weigh trucks? We just had somebody weigh a whole bunch of intermodal trailers and tractors. And and they came back and said, okay, we can haul 45,000 and 46,000 on this carrier and et cetera. Huge improvement in their load factor. But again, you need data and I can't make that data up. You might say that's what it, that's what that weighs, but if it doesn't, your all your calculations are off. So anyway, getting back to it, how would I use how would I use provision AI to to help me first fill the pallets and maybe I'm assuming sometimes you'll tell people, maybe I should ask, do you ever tell people your pallet sizes are wrong? You need to get different size pallets for something specialized so we can make sure that we are maximizing the truck. There are a number of things that that play into it. First of all, how how do you do it? We're looking at deployment or replenishment of your warehouses from your plants. Most people ship in full pallet quantities. And unless you are shipping, and I'll give you an example, ice cream is in novelties go to about 80 inches, you've got another maybe 20 inches on top. And if you're shipping them 100 miles, you're probably not going to be too worried about that. If you're shipping them cross country, you might want to take some product and put it on top. And we call that supersizing. Okay. And supersizing really works with adding layers of product to, to a load. We do that on imports coming in from Europe with a number of other things. Okay. That, that's, that's one area. Second is when you're shipping to customers, obviously you, you, you want to build good pallets, good truckloads, et cetera. So there's two parts to that. One is getting the orders up front and validating that, hey, are they good orders or not? Oh, do I need to put two or three orders together to fill up the truck? And, and which of those orders based on when they need to be there? How do I optimize that? And lastly, when you get down to the the point of doing execution, you need to be tied into the warehouse management system. The good news about our software is it's the same software that's tied into the warehouse management system is the one that's planning the loads. So we have that ability to know what your plan is going to be executed, as opposed to having something that's often planning that's not playing nice with the execution. So will it tell you the following things go on this pallet together? Can the sequence still pick them up and, and how to do that? Yes. And then it'll tell you, okay, so it first tells me how to load that pallet. And does it tell me how to uh, wrap it or is that separate? It tells you how to, to if you're going to double stack it with another pick pallet, for example, you know, this is the one that's going to go on top, how to wrap them together, where to stage it in the staging lane, wh- where it goes on the truck. Is it in straight or is it turned? All those various pieces of information. And is there an airbag that goes and holds it in place? I'm assuming also, if I'm using Provision AI, that we're going to have a lot less damage than we're used to. When Procter implemented this many years ago, they claimed, depending on which site it was, 75% reduction in damage. And other sites claimed a 50% reduction in damage. Uh, I can't can't validate either of those numbers, but I can tell you that's what they've put in print. So somebody get this... The shipper said 50% less damage and the carrier said 75% less. Uh, I think the answer is somewhere in between, but it was a big, significant number. Yeah. So you guys are helping me 
build the sequence, build the palette, and then build the load. So when that leaves, it is now I know a hundred percent would be the goal. What is most, where are most people at when you meet with them originally? Is it 60% full? And you say, we're going to try and get you as close to a hundred as possible. Um, our goal is we want to get everybody above 98%. So we oh, actually print goodness. <laughs> we send a weekly report to all our clients basically saying you're at this percent and you need to be or 50% of your loads were at were less than 98%, 50% were more than 98%. Are these cubing out or weighing out? Yes, depending <laughs> on the on on the customer and the carry. We work with people who ship paper and they ship paper on floor loads. So you can, in some cases, you can, without pallets, so you can sometimes get 16 rows and maybe even 17 rows in a trailer. Wait, those paper ships without pallets, what do they ship on? Like cases, boxes? They just ship them as stacks. Is it boxes? Yeah, if you're shipping, yeah, if you ship um, paper towels and things in, in, in stacks, uh, come along with a clamp truck, squeeze it, put it on the truck. Yeah, Tom, I'm assuming you've seen some of the same things. You've probably seen it in person. I've never seen these in person. These loading machines, they seem to pick things up and load the trucks automatically. Do you encounter those, and how does that interact with what you guys are doing? We actually are the ones who give them the, here's how it's going to go on on that platen that goes and loads the truck automatically. Okay, so uh, those are the ones that go into the trailer. There are some others that actually are like a, I'll call it an for, automated forklift that goes in and, and puts things into the trailer. I uh, love but, it. but fundamentally, automatic truck loading, we've been doing that, golly, for, for 15 years, I would say. Well, the, big, the biggest shippers obviously have the economics that make, that make sense for to do that. And by the way, we're going to find ourselves, we are, we are a part of a generation that is much bigger than the generation behind us. And as this country and the other countries are the same, as we have less population, better ed- educated and wealthier, I always say, we're going to have to figure out how to get some automation in these locations. There is no doubt. And we work with some of the biggest shippers in the world and very fortunate to be watching them as they go through the journey for automatic case picking, automatic layer picking, a huge increase in cross docking. I'll give you an example. The chief supply chain officer from Procter & Gamble got up at a conference two years ago and said, we're doing 45% of our volume going through this 1.8 million square foot warehouse is being cross-docked. It's not actually ever getting put away. What a remarkable thing. Thinking It's a complete rethink of how a warehouse works. Okay, And and huge labor savings. Yes, we've got to move ourselves to the next generation of how we think. As with everything, you need some guidance. How are we going to pick the pallets? How are we going to load the truck? It's counterintuitive. How do we we put all the things together? And doing that in the warehouse is actually very complex. You need a sophisticated company to be able to do it. Procter & Gamble and Nestle, those kind of companies. But when you start to think about just doing deployment optimization, which is how do we get that one or two extra pallets on every truck going from the plant to the D.C.? That's a real win, and it's a, it's a win that's achievable by everybody from relatively unsophisticated companies right through to the most sophisticated. Yep. Tell me to take you a little off track for a minute. I'm always off track. It's okay. <laughs> so you're familiar with 
how we use shipping containers. And I think the shipping container kind of found its way in the late 50s, early 60s. And without the shipping container as we have it right now, we would not have world trade. It wasn't economically feasible because the cost of loading and unloading was so significant. And by the way, the damage, the theft, the injuries at the ports was crazy. People were killed in those jobs. Ports were lawless. We had tons of damage. We would not have all, all the stuff that you were all looking at. I'm looking at your office. The, everything in your office came in a shipping container. Same with my office. We got really good with the unloading and loading and that having a standard box, we have a few standard boxes, changed everything. And I, I've often thought when we, we have a pallet, which is standard here, but I always, I've often thought if we could get to that same place when we're talking about our truckloads, how do we say those trucks are moving? I don't know that it's necessarily possible to get to that same shipping containers. By the way, shipping containers are sometimes not completely full either. But what I think you're getting at is I don't have to have that standard unit necessarily if I have a tool like yours that allows me to optimize that box. That is true. That that box is the standard, okay? That pellet is the standard. And, and being able to look at how you use those standards to your most advantageous benefit, that, that is clearly what we need to do and work inside those parameters. But you're right, McLean, who did the, the first container, was McLean. Anyway, he was a great innovator, and, and he solved all those problems you outlined. And it's just hugely important to the, to the world. I'll remember, there's a book called The Box. I highly recommend you listen if you have not already. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I think, by the way, when you're done fixing this, Tom, you can go over to the shipping container space and figure out how we can stop sending empties, <laughs> empty ships back to Asia. <laughs> That's another challenge well, we have. Actually, uh, there's a lot of agricultural prod- produce that goes back to Asia. A- and uh, at one stage, we were exporting all our recycling too back to Asia, which unfortunately is, is stopped. But for the most part, we-, we can do some things to send more stuff back but that's a global trade thing. And I, I don't think Mr. Biden would like me interfering with that. I think one of the things that 80% of those shipping containers are empty going back to Asia. And I've heard people say that what if those containers went one way and didn't have to be shipped back, but the, but the boats would still have to be shipped back. And again, those containers take a little bit of an abuse. They can't be cardboard. I mean, they, <laughs> Another podcast. I'll bother you on that later. So anyway, let's talk about if somebody's listening to the podcast, they go, Ooh, Tom, I have this problem. I have warehouses or plants and we have lots of stuff being shipped out and we are tasking our guys with getting those trucks full and we're nowhere near it. And it's not their fault. It's my fault because I can't give them anything. I can't give them guidance other than rule of thumb, tribal knowledge, a good guess. Our best guess is of what we're doing right now. They say, Tom, help me. Where do they start? How does this work? We've got a process, and we've been doing this for a number of years. The process really is, first of all, let's understand your situation. What are your constraints? How do you work? All, all those things. Often there are, there are some, some simple things you can do that, that give immediate benefit. Uh, we were working with a company shipping containers from 
Asia, they hadn't worked out that you could get 21 floor positions in a 40-foot refrigerated container. Hey, you're running 20. Get 21. So problem solved. M millions of dollars a year. They got that for, 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 for basically a call with, with, with our team. So that was a great situation. Okay. The, the next thing is we try and get some data because we're, we're very much a data-oriented company and we get some data and look at that data and say, what's the size of the prize here? Okay. How much can we improve on these deployment lanes or replenishment lanes, however you want to call them? And, and, and say, okay, what's that? Next is we do a pilot and, and we also work with them because you know, everyone talks about software being the solution. Software is part of the solution. There are a number of things you have to do. Overcome the tribal knowledge, okay? And get real data and, and you start to work with that. Second, get your item master accurate, okay? Not really basic stuff. Th software and then continually work with the customer to say, how do we get better? We've been working with one particular customer for you know, 10 years now. And, and we have a, a meeting every quarter, and they've now just asked us to go to monthly meetings. Okay? Why do we go to monthly meetings? Because they want to continue to drive value and enhance what they're doing. And they're measuring what they call TLU, truckload utilization, and they're at 97% right now. And that, they're not happy. They want to be at 98, which is my number. Okay. So how do we get that 1%? So we're meeting with them every month to work with them, run analysis, do work. Why? Because we're not just a software company, we're a solutions company, okay? And everyone says that, but they don't mean it. When we've been working with a company for as long as we have and we're still having meetings and trying to work and get them better, and we don't get any extra money for that. We just get, I think I'll call it kudos and stickiness and I'll call it the, the satisfaction of knowing that we're doing good because taking 88,000 trucks off the road is great. How do we take 188,000 trucks off the road next year? Yeah. And by the way, companies are being tasked to lower that greenhouse gas. If we can just get those trucks a little more full, that is not investing in um, a propane-driven vehicle or electric vehicles. This is saying, nope, we got our existing trucks. And by the way, not only helping the environment, but we're also helping our budget, right? We're spending less. Oh, it, it, it's, it's an amazing win, Joe. And, and we, we've developed in the last few months, and it's in our new editions of our software, a report. And the person who put it together, God bless them, is really smarter than I am. And she said, hey, people don't fully understand tons of carbon, but they do understand acres of forest. So we've sequestered as we've done as much carbon saving in the last month as 250 acres of prime U.S. forest would have sequestered. Very nice. It was more like 2,000 in this case, but it was. But given number of people, something can understand of hey, we're really doing something that's good for the atmosphere. And you know what? You're doing something good for the atmosphere, and you don't even have to get on a private jet to Davos. You're just doing it right from Tennessee. <laughs> anyway, so I know you're involved in some other companies. We talked before we hit record. Tell us a little bit about your other company scheduling, Auto Scheduler AI. Well, I started Auto Scheduler again, solving a particular problem. Four of us sat down in a room in North Carolina and, and said, hey, we spend a lot of time scheduling all the activities around the warehouse. There are people on all shifts and 
these people are trying to work out when are we going to load this truck, when are we going to unload those truck, and they have to go back and look at three different systems to work out, gee, is the inventory that we need for, to load that truck on this truck? And, and, and so they spent many hours doing it, and, and it was a hugely labor-intensive thing. And by the time they developed the plan, the shift was almost over, and the next shift came in, and they, didn't, they started again. There was no cons- real consistency between shifts either. And some planners were very good and some weren't so good. So they said, how, how do we solve that problem? And we came up with this concept called auto scheduler. An auto scheduler is the brain for the warehouse management system. It tells the warehouse management system what to do. Let's unload this truck at one o'clock so we can load this truck at three o'clock. Okay? Simple stuff. We're going to have to unload this truck at eight in the morning because we've got a lot of picking to do with the product that's coming off that truck. We've got so many hours of picking that needs to take place. We've got a limited capacity of number of pickers, so therefore we need to get that, that, that product in early. So all these understanding all the capacities and the dependencies inside a warehouse. You can't load something until you picked it. You can't pick something until you've unloaded it or got it out of inventory or done something or it's come off the production line. So <clears throat> being able to have a system that is able to orchestrate all the activities in the warehouse and do it in a way that makes efficient work. By that, if we're going to cross-dock something, let's make sure we unload them and load them at the same time. Let's not make it a coincidence. Let's be proactive about it. Yep. So let me ask this. When we talk about your provision AI, who is your customer in that? Is it is 3PLs? Is it shippers? Is it both? We predominantly work with shippers, and shippers tell their 3PLs, for example, the to use our software in the warehouse. But shippers, the majority of our business is really on that whole deployment piece. It's the easiest to implement. It's got the most money to the bottom line the quickest. Okay, Everybody likes that. Okay? From the provision piece, that's the next step. It's that let's get load optimization in first. Let's do number two is, is leveling. And then number three, because you've got load optimization, because you've got leveling, now we can actually do what we call early tendering. Think about this in terms of if I know the number of shipments I'm going to make for the next month on on this lane, I can choose a number of days out that I can say, today's Monday, I'm going to need five trucks on Friday. I'm going to tender those trucks for Friday. Now, historically, you would have said, oh, I need to tell you what's going to be on those trucks. The carrier doesn't care, does he? He's, he, all he cares about, I've, I've got a dry van or I've got a refrigerated van that's going to go from A to B. I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have in the logistics space is, and, and I, I think we've all been part of these conversations where somebody says, boy, I really need you to save me some money. And, and, then, and then the first thing the carrier or the broker or the 3PL says is, if you could tell me, two days earlier, one day earlier than you already tell me about these loads, I could save you 10, 15, 20%. If we could get some consistency, then it just, I, I, by the way, I'm, I think if it was easy, shippers would be doing it. It's not always easy. And that's why they need some tools. It's not always easy because you've got one overriding thing. One, there's a huge amount of data you require to do this optimization. Okay. Number two, you have to protect customer service. It's one thing to reduce carrier costs. No one cares at the end of the day if you miss a shipment to 
to a big customer, okay? And, and so we've developed the technology. I love this we. I came up with the idea and a whole bunch of really smart people did it. We've d- developed this technology that, that is able to do this very well. And we're fortunate it just this past month, the Logistics Management Magazine featured Kimberly Clark on the front page. They came to Provision AI. We provided them with the technology, and, and I think they speak very highly of it. I'll let people read that themselves, but it, it, it was a major achievement, and kudos to Kimberly Clark to, to, to buying into that. There are other companies. If you send me a link to that article, I will put that in the show notes so people can check that out. Will do. I think what's interesting about all of this is for years we've said, oh, data, I want data. Now you've got a you've got a file cabinet right behind you here. I've said when I started my career, we had data. It was in those file cabinets, not accessible. But even if you took them out of the file cabinet, put on your desk and started looking through them, not particularly useful because you can't, you don't have a processor, you just have a, a weak human brain. For a long time, I've said, only the very best metrics grow up to be KPIs. And all I want to see is the KPIs, right? And why? Because I have this weak little human brain and I only want to look at five things that tell me the rest are going the right direction. As we start using technology, it's so much more. Now, we again, we can't process all the information we have, but I'm assuming your AI can. It can make these. And by the way, those are decisions that it's making. I guarantee you they're counterintuitive to what you think. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few things here. Um, first of all, you're right about the human brain. Uh, very, very difficult to do that. Uh, in the Kimberly Clark example, the, there are 14 different sites shipping to their smallest distribution center. How do you even coordinate? How do you physically coordinate managing the volume into that distribution center where there are 14 different sites with 14 different lead times, 14 different planners, et cetera? You've got to have a system to do that. So that, that's the first piece. The second piece of, of the whole equation here is most people use KPIs and, and data and visibility to show what has happened or what is happening. Okay, It's the old driving the car looking in the rearview mirror. We're looking out the next 30, maybe 60 days to work out what is likely to happen with our customers, with our network, with our production from taking the advantage from the planning system, the ERP, forecasts, all this other stuff, and putting it all together and saying, okay, here's what should happen, not what we're, we're proactively planning how we, we're going to operate our network for the next days, okay? Not the next day or the next two days or the next four days, but the next 30 days. I love it. I love it. And by the way, I think... <laughs> Sometimes I ask people about the ROI on this stuff, but the ROI on something like this is is unbelievable. I know it. Like it's if if you did nothing else but eliminate overtime detention in the yard, and you and I had a conversation before we started this podcast about driver utilization. Okay, if you ship twenty four trucks to a destination today and two tomorrow, chances are those twenty four trucks are probably going to be about. 20 of them still sitting there waiting to be unloaded right. in the yard. Yes. And hopefully they don't have drivers and tractors. But fundamentally, you have to start to understand that everything has, a, has an action. And you've got to get 24 people to, to load those trucks at the front end. 
you've got to get 24 people to unload those trucks at the other end. There's just all these really bad things happen that, frankly, no one, everyone's cared about, but no one's kind of worked out how do we prevent it? And we've developed the way of making the planning system play nice with the network, okay? And we've got planners who are shipping stuff into a warehouse, and the warehouse has got no space. How do you, what, why are we shipping stuff into a warehouse that we simply going to have the trailer sitting out in the yard? Yeah. By the way, this always reminds me, we have all these nice systems, but then when you go out to a terminal or to a warehouse and you see it and you go, yeah, this is the downstream effects of what we've done. <laughs> and it's all, it reminds me when I was an automotive engineer, when I would design something, it'd be beautiful. Then I go to the, uh, see them tool it and all that. And then when eventually I'd see the finished part, I was like, why is it bent so funny? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? They're like, that's what you gave us, Joe. Damn it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, the, the plan has to be executable, okay? Oh, yeah. And by the way, we've had no expectations that we know how to fill a pallet. We just trust that Bob down there and, and Jane over here just figure it out. They're good, and we like them. And But, but it goes up above that. Have you got planning systems like SAP APO, Canaxis, OMP, Blue Yonder, all these guys, Anaplan, I could go on and on. They're all spending huge amounts of, of money and, and, and resources building good forecasts and good deployment supply plans. And they come out at the end and throw them across the wall. And hey, this is going to give you high service. It's going to make you also give you high cost or it may not be feasible or all the other things that, that fit together. So I look at this and say, as, as a, as a, Business, large companies need to make planning play well with distribution. Okay. Yep. So let me wrap this bad boy up, put a bow on it. So I'm going to try and summarize this and God knows I'm not going to do a good job on this one, but I'll trust you to wrap it up with a good final thoughts. Talking to my friend, Tom Moore, and we're talking about load building and optimization and so much more. And well, we have a problem with how we manage our warehouses and our plants. We know how to, we've optimized production in many cases and we got stuff coming off that line or coming in and now we have to ship it. And the pallets, we know we are not loading the pallets correctly. We do the best we can. And the best are getting pretty close, but not anywhere near filling a truck like it should be. It's costing us a ton of money. It's also costing us a ton of greenhouse gases. It's costing us, as you said, over time, it is costing probably job turnover too because it's such a hassle. But there's so much complexity here. The best we've been, for the most part, doing is tribal knowledge. And as you said earlier, the targets on this stuff is so low. We just, we're happy with if we can get that truck 60, 70, 80% full. We have to do better. By the way, again, the big CPGs are looking at us. The big government are looking at us and saying, solve the greenhouse gas problem. This is, we were going to put that in the, the title. And I told you a lot of people would just glance at the title and say, yes, yeah, scope three is not my problem. I, I know it's there and I hope you're fixing it, but my job is something else. <laughs> but this is perfect because it saves you money. And then it's got the greenhouse gas effect or redu reduction effect. 
So you don't have to convince the boss that we're doing it for the good of the planet. Nope. You can say we're doing it to save a lot of money and also for the good of the planet. Final thoughts on this stuff, Tom Moore. Quite a straightforward problem, right? The problem is how do we get more stuff on a truck? Easy way to, to do it is firstly, look at deployment first. Second, how do we level out our deployment? Third, how do we tender our trucks earlier? All those things generate significant cost and carbon benefit, okay? Scope three emissions benefit. And then you start taking on the really hard stuff. The really hard stuff is how do we improve the size of our shipments to our customers, okay? And how do we get our customers to order more and, and, and drive more? So it's really straightforward. Get more stuff on a truck, level, tender earlier, then, take, then attack the hard stuff with your customers. Well, the, the objectives are easy. It's just getting there is difficult without a tool, and that's why we're talking to you today. <laughs> now, Not to, only to, a tool, again, a team. <laughs> to, tools is one thing. Teams is another. Okay? Yes, you need both. And you need to have both because if you don't have in that dirt under your fingernails from having done something, it's really difficult to fully understand and get the benefits you need to do. Excellent. Excellent. Tom Moore, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your website. Hopefully we'll put a link to your the article about Kimberly Clark and that logistics management magazine. And I'll also look for the link to the book, The Box. If you guys have not read The Box, you should. It is one of the best books about those containerized shipping. Again, there would be none of what we're talking about today if we were not using shipping containers. Tom, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, rock stars of our business. Who else should I interview? There's a guy called Keith Moore who happens to have my last name because he happens to be my son. Ah. And I will let you assess whether I'm being gratuitous in, in recommending it. But he runs a company called autoscheduler.ai. They are truly revolutionary. Gartner, um, cool vendor, really getting a lot of good press for doing something that, frankly, the warehouse management system companies haven't done, and that's become the brain and the thinking process behind all of warehouse management and driving significant savings in the operations. So I suggest you talk to him. He truly understands AI because he has patents in his name. So this is not somebody who has put AI in his company name simply because it's fashionable. His background truly is pure play AI. I love it. I love it. And again, this is, we talked a little bit about it already, but the use of AI, it's the only way we're going to get there. For a long time, we were satisfied to collect data. Then at some point we started saying it's business intelligence, but what we really needed to do is solve the problem in front of me, not show me the problem I had last week or last month. <laughs> and it's visibility is nice, but to, to quote um, Dwight Klappick from Gartner, so what? Yeah, it's a visibility, sometimes a visibility of a slow motion train crash. <laughs> Somebody says, yeah, did, did you have visibility? Yeah, it would have been good if you could have solved it as it was happening, as opposed to saying, yes, we had full visibility of the problem that's going on. No, that's not good enough. Anyway, what conferences will I see you and the Provision AI people at? 
You'll see us at Gartner and CSCMP, which is in Nashville this year. You'll see us at Manifest. Excellent. I will. Yes, I will be there. And Manifest, I've not been before, but I'm told that it is probably the best supply chain conference out there. It is awesome. I'm sure there's other, I know there's, by the way, I I said there's different strokes for different folks. I just went to TIA. I loved it. A couple hundred people. Manifest is a couple thousand. It's like drinking from a, I think it's three, 4,000 people. It's like drinking from a fire hose, but it is awesome. I loved it. And I'm here in the, I'm in here in the Midwest. It is nice to be in Vegas in February. They call it winter, but I was like, it's sweater weather. <laughs> and, and we'll be going to a couple of, I'll call it product oriented uh, conferences for, for supply planning products. All, all good. Our main focus really is getting the name out there because again, we saved 88,000 trucks this year. How do we save 188,000? Because it's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for the world. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Tom. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.